Welcome to our weekly, we mean weekly Wednesday night shiur. With Nishmas and Baruch Yudha Levi, we just finished Kaddish for this week, and the Basara, upcoming Yerzeit. Pashas Vayetze. Vayetze, to go out. Vayetze, Yakim, Vayeshav, Vayelech, Harama. When we were kids, we said, here we know that Yaakov wore a yarmulke. Because Vayetze, Yakim, Vayeshav, Vayelech, Harama. He went out of Vayeshav and went into Harama without a yarmulke. He must have worn a yarmulke. Logic dictates. Um, this Shabbos also test Kislev, the birthday and the yard site of the Mitla Rebbe. On the Mitla Rebbe it said, it is written, that if they cut his veins open instead of blood, Chassidus would pour out. How that logistically works. You have to be a chassid to understand, I guess. Pash first question that Yaakov gets asked, and Yaakov says, Oops, how did I not know? Is, what are you doing sleeping in the place of the Beis HaMikdash? You have nowhere else to sleep except for the place of the Beis HaMikdash. Goes out, goes out from Beersheba. Tells us the pasuk that he starts to travel a little bit. All of a sudden, we've got a mokim. All of a sudden, sun sets. Now, the truth to be told, the sun got set on him. It was not his fault. It wasn't his intention to set the sun. It was a quick sunset. All of a sudden. <laughs> We know that Avram Vino established Shachris and Yitzchak Mincha and Yaakov Meiriv. So, but there are they say. Of course, he established Meiriv. The sun set before he could turn around, before he could cap a Mincha, so he had to say, Tushmanes is by Meiriv, so he had to make a Meiriv. It's not exactly what happened. Please don't uh, take that literal. It was Sachris, it was a joke. Um. There are many such jokes in the theater. That's a slaughter. Let's go quickly through the pasha so we don't miss any bo- any any major points. Yaku goes out of Beshava, he goes to Choron. He goes to Choron to his wonderful uncle. He gets royally messed over. He sees Rachel, he wants to marry Rachel. And he tells him, Yes, you'll marry Rachel, but work for me seven years. He works seven years. And then they quickly switch Leah under the chuppah. 
Yaakov was well aware of who Lovin was. So, question becomes, how did he fall for such a thing? How did he not know what was happening here? And the simple answer to the Mechamash Mikra is that Yaakov and Rachel made up certain signs under the Chuppah. So Yaakov would know it's Rachel. Rachel in turn saw what was going on. She saw the big switcheroo about to happen. And she said, I can't do this to my sister. I can't do this. I can't embarrass her like this. Because it'll come under the chuppah and Yaakov will see that she's not giving the signs. He'll start screaming. He'll run. So not to embarrass her sister. Mind you, who we're talking about here. What we're talking about. We're talking about two sisters that understood in the stars that one was to marry Yaakov and one was to marry Esav. Um, obviously Leah was the one that was supposed to marry Esav and Yaakov was supposed to marry Rachel. Leah used to cry her eyes out. Leah's in in a very case. Her eyes were very, very red always because she cried her eyes out always over the fact that she was going to get. She lamented being stuck with Asaph. Was she punished for being for marrying Asaph? Wasn't a punishment. Adarab. There was a hope in heaven that Leah was strong enough to control Asaph and to make him a mensch. As we spoke before, that Esav had a very, very high neshama. Came from a high source. So it was not a simple thing all of a sudden that Esav became who he was. So the hope was that Leah would be able to marry Esav and make him into a mensch. It was not meant to be. Love and saw that his daughter did not want to marry Esav. And Lovin wanted his daughter to get married. And so, the big switch. When Yaakov comes crying the next day, what did you do to me? He says, we don't do those things here. We don't marry the younger before the older. Nothing in the Teda is a story. Everything in the Teda is a lesson. We're soon going to learn This too was a lesson. But not the lesson the way it sounds. Yes, there is, as you say, there is a source for it that the younger child should not marry before an older one. If a younger child marries before an older, Generally, a girl before a girl, a boy before a boy. There are certain procedures that are set up. 
what the child has to do, what the child has to put up. If a girl marries before a sister, then they should put down a certain amount of money before the sister's wedding. Um, there's a shtar mechila that's written up. It's not a simple thing. Shtar mechila is not everybody does. But the fact is that if you want something done right, you want it to be real, you do it on paper. So let's not take, though, Lovin's word as word of the law. It's not pleasant for a younger child to have to skip an older child. But it does happen. It is doable, acceptable. Acceptable, per se, by parents. Very few parents want to take, want to skip. But sometimes you have no choice. That was Lovin's story. That was Lovin's excuse, and he stuck to it. He even got Jacob to pay for the wedding. He was a, a real scoundrel, this fellow. But the fact was, Yaakov married one. A week later, he married the other. And we find that, in addition to that, Bill and Zilpa were added as well to his tents. And the bore the children of Yaakov, which ultimately they knew would be twelve sons. The birth of Yesav Atzadik. When Yesav Atzadik was born, Yaakov knew that he had what was called the only the only name, the only son with the letter Samach in his name. And that would be the Sitna Shalesov. That is the power that he had to fight against Esau. And therefore, now that he knew that Yosef was born, he knew that he was able to confront and go up against Esau once again. And therefore, he was ready to leave. And what transpires in the leaving and the departure, Lovin obviously did not want him to leave. And main reasons because Lovin saw tremendous profits in his everything due to Yaakov's uh, existence there. But Yaakov ultimately says, enough, I've had enough of this, and the mice of the trafim that got stolen, what were exactly the trafim, etc. And then by Shabbos Mincha, we start to read Vayishlach, Vayishlach Yaakov, Malach in the front of. So ultimately Vayetze and Vayishlach always come out on the same Shabbos, we read the Pasha Vayetze, and we always read by Mincha Vayishlach. The missions of Yaakov Avinu. When one embarks on a mission, one experiences change. For the most part, if a person does things sincerely, with complete sincerity, if the person does things with the proper intentions, then the person accomplishes change for the good. If chas v'chalila, 
the opposite. One needs to aspire to look to be able to change for the better. And on a constant basis, it doesn't matter if you're 17, if you're 70, if you're 115. One needs to constantly look how I can better myself today. Not down the road, not in a week, not in a month. The Mishnah tells us a person needs to consider every day as if that's the day they're going to die. And thereby knowing that a person, everybody knows if they know going to Chas Hashem, have to return their holy neshama back to Shemayim, they want to know that they're going to do it the right way. Therefore, they repent on that day. told the story before. It's a very, very powerful story. A chassid of the Bashem HaKadosh was called in by the Bashem Tov and the Bashem Tov told him travel to India. Shahakal. Didn't charge you for it, you cheap piker. Just eat it. He's told to travel to where? To India. Those days, India didn't even have a map. But the Chassid was told, the told him, he went, purchased a ticket, prepared himself, and he traveled. And the traveling, obviously, was not a flight, it was a boat. And the boat was not exactly a cruise ship. You got yourself a little cabin, a loch, a hole in the cabin, a little, what they call the room. They had a sashtikal cot, they called it for a bed. That was your accommodations, basically, and the food you brought your own. And the Chassid was traveling on the ship. And about the fifth day of the travel, the middle of the night actually, he feels the ship is uh, not going very smoothly. It's tossing, it's turning, it's churning. He immediately gets dressed, and by the time he's finished dressing, there's a flood of water in his room. And before he realizes it, the ship is sinking. And before he can say or think anything, he's in the water. There were some boxes floating by. And he grabbed on, held on to a box for his dear life. And miraculously, a little lifeboat that was on the boat floats by he holds on for his dear life to the boat and he grabs on and he pulls himself in he's soaking wet it's pouring rain it's freezing apparently there was in the lifeboat they had a few a box of whatever it was of colorless blankets 
He covers himself with the blankets. He's shivering under the blanket and he falls asleep. He has no idea how long he slept, but what woke him up was it wasn't moving. The ship wasn't moving anymore. The little lifeboat was not moving. And it was getting warm under the blankets. So he lifts up the blankets, and lo and behold, he's on solid ground. Came to shore to an island. And now what? I, I'm still alive. Echepis. But but where? Where am I alive? What kind of life is it going to be now? Is there any habitant on this island? Is there anybody? Maybe there's wild animals roaming this island. How? What? When? Where? All the questions going through this cousin's mind. He starts to walk a little bit and he hears a brook. Bubbling brook. Oof. At least I can get some water to drink. I'm parched. I have no idea how many days I was on this boat, on this little boat here. How long I slept. And he gets a little water. And he sees a path, a road. A road means this must be people. So he starts to walk. And he walks and he walks. The road is continuing. The road continues. He walks. And in the distance he sees a house. Hopefully they're not going to be hostile. Hopefully they're not anti-Semites. And they'll set him up and he'll be able to go home. He gets to the house and there's a mezuzah on the door. Get a clap, nobody's home. He goes and sees another house. And he sees a bunch of, like a little village over here. And they all the houses have mezuzahs on their doors. And all the houses are empty. And then there's a shtickle market, a shtickle makolet over there. So he goes to get, maybe he'll get some food. There's food, but there's no people. So he takes up his staples, bread, whatever he could take. And he writes, that settled for the uh, storekeeper. That's a shame. You come in, you tell me, I'll pay you. And he goes to one of the houses and leaves it settled and I'm sleeping in the front room. When you come home, wake me up. Davin's Mincha, Davin's Maidiv, Engageshlafen. All of a sudden, Fartogs, Friday, the next morning, he has no idea what day of the week it is. Fartogs, he hears a homel-tumel outside. Sounds like war broke out. He runs to the window. And there's a hustle and bustle and people are running. Men are running back and forth. And he comes running outside. Hello, Shalom Aleichem, what's going on? And there's no time to talk. Shabbos, Shabbos, Mishai, Shabbos. It's going to be Shabbos. When I will leave Finally, he's, he's, he's wandering, trying to get somebody to stop for a second to tell him what's going on, where they is. By yelling, nobody's talking. 
it's in the afternoon already, and a yid walks over to him and says, Rabbi, what are you doing? He says, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. He says, it's almost Shabbos, I'm getting mikveh, come, I'll give you clothing. And he gave him clothing, fresh clothing, for Shabbos. And took him to the mikveh. He got to the mikveh and changes the fresh clothing, chaye. And what's to do next? He starts, he comes to Shul. As that's correct, Shul. And he's sitting next to somebody, he's going to try to talk to him about it. Hey, do possible? Yo, he can't shut yet. Can't talk. Well, they dive in, and all of a sudden, the dove comes in. See a real holy Jew. Chazan gets up. Like a malach. The davening was unbelievable. So beautiful, so inspirational. The songs were so magnificent. He mamish felt like he was davening in Gan Eden. No. They finished davening and the guy sitting next to him says, Rebid, come to me and I'm Come home to my house eat. It's good. Shkeach. Figures on the way, at least to ask him, what's tutzor though? They come out of the shul and he starts talking to him. The guy, the host starts telling him about the parsha. Starts asking him such in-depth questions. Such deep questions. It was just, I mean, it was beautiful. He's a chassid of Hashem, mind you. So this is a real treat. Throughout the meal, Kiddush, the chassid didn't even realize how the meal went by with divrei with food and everything. He'd have a word. He couldn't say a word. He didn't say a word edgewise. And the meal tardied. It was late. Chassid's eyes were shutting already. He says, Kum, the host tells him, Come, he has a bed for you. Find out in the morning. In the morning, flying back and forth. And can't say a word. They go lie down for the afternoon. And the, as they comes again to Maidiv. Mincha Maidiv. Shalashudis. Then, after Maidiv, they all wait. The whole shul's waiting. The Rav comes in and he goes to the front of the shul and he makes Avdallah. Beautiful voice. He makes Avdallah. And tradition. We dip the candle at the end of Avdallah into the wine that spilled. And a tradition by the Yidin is we dip our fingers into the dripped wine where the dipped candles were. Some use these fingers, some use these fingers, some use these fingers. Whatever the custom might be, 
some put across their eyebrows, by their ears, and in their pockets, of course. Who's not going to put it in their pocket if they think it's going to be Panasa? Atlanta says, he's in. <laughs> we should see good things, we should hear good things, we should have money, whatever it might be. It's for good schoolers. Kitzer, he sees after Abdullah the whole congregation lines up. It's a long line. He gets on the line. And to his shock, he sees the first fellow dip his hands, put on his eyes, and disappear. The second, the third, the fourth, the line just keeps disappearing in front of him. And everyone gets, and he gets to the front of the line, he's standing in front of this plate, and the Rav is standing there, smiles at him, the Rav dips his fingers, and he's gone. And he says, uh-huh. I haven't, what was that? Where am I, and what's going on here? Kitzer, he had a whole week to think about it. And a whole week with no answers. I told you I said the story. And it came the next Shabbos, and the same Erev Shabbos, and the same Shabbos, and the same Zemiris, and the same Havdalah, and when it came to Havdalah, each person wiped their forehead, and each one disappeared, and as he gets in front of the Rav, the Rav smiles, and the Rav dips his fingers, and he grabs the Rav's hands. So no you don't. What's going on? So says, leave go, I'll tell you. So he's going, he tells him the following. Many years ago, the time of the Beis HaMikdash, Eden started misbehaving. And there was a group of people that couldn't watch, they couldn't tolerate the misbehavior. And we all moved away from Yerushalayim to a distance. And we lived our life there, Taylor Mitzvahs. Boy, and the fire, the smoke was rising up from Yerushalayim, and we realized there's a problem. And we sent one of the people to go look, and he came back beaten and bloodied, and he was telling everybody the terrible, terrible tragedy, destruction of the Beis Hamidash. Everybody got heartbroken from it, and within a year, everybody passed away. Our whole congregation came to Mila, and we were given an option: staying on Aiden until Tchias Mason, or staying on Aiden the whole week and Shabbos go back down to you, to the, uh, the world and have Shabbos. Who doesn't love Shabbos? Who can possibly accomplish in the greatest places of Elam Haba what we can accomplish in this world on Shabbos? So we chose. Six days a week we're in Ganeiden, and the seventh we come to the world to Prava Shabbos. Hey, yes, you're here, and now you know the secret. You have a choice. You have a choice to come with us 
and live the same life. Six days in Gan Eden, one day Shabbos. Or go wherever you want. So the Chassid's eyes almost popped out. He says, this is a perfect fit to live such a life, but I'm a Chassid of Hashem HaKadosh. I don't want to leave the Rebbe. I want to go back to Mezhibush. I'd love to do this six days in Ganeid and one day Shabbos, but I, I need to be by the Rebbe. So okay, you go back to Mezhibush. So he looks at the Rebbe and he says, hey, excuse me. How am I going to Mezhibush exactly? And I, I can't swim. So Rebbe takes out a piece of paper Run. Yeah. You got it. So Rav takes out a piece of paper and he says, on this paper is Hashem's name. Stare at this paper, memorize the name, then close your eyes, say the name, and don't open it again until you're in the destination where you want to be. Think where you want to be and it'll take you there. But don't open your eyes until you feel your feet on the ground. Then, when you reach your destination, you need to take this paper and throw it up to heaven, and the hand will come and take it. Okay, and you'll forget everything. He says, "Fine." He looks the paper, memorizes the Shem Hashem. As he closes his eyes, he feels fire, wind, everything is flying around him, and he feels himself lifted up off the ground, and he feels himself flying in the air. And he was told not to open his eyes until he hits the ground. And that track measurebush and measurebush and measurebush, and he lands his feet on the ground in measurebush, and he opens his eyes again, and he sees he's stuck in measurebush. Now he has to keep his promise. He takes the paper, and he takes his hand, and he's about to throw it up, and he feels somebody grab it, grab his arm, and he looks around. It's the Balshem Hakadosh. Bashem takes the paper from him and says, Don't worry. They won't be angry at you for leaving the paper with me. This is why I sent you on the journey to get me this paper. I need it to save many, many years. And the Chasid understood that what he did was the right choice, of course, and how he had to do it. Now we said before that no stories in the Teda are history. Teda is Miloshan Hayro'o, a lesson. And therefore everything that it says in the Teda is there to teach us even the stories of Teda and they teach us a life lesson. 
a way to live life, a way to serve Hashem. Happy birthday, Mary. We know, especially when it comes to our Ovais, Maisa Ovais Simin Labanim. Stories of our forefathers are a sign for his children how we need to live. Especially stories of Yaakov Avinu, who is known as Bechur Shavavis. He was the choice of the forefathers. That's one of the reasons we say Avram had Yishmol, Yitzchak had an Esav, Yaakov had Mitosei Shlema, full family of Yidin, full family of Tzadikim. So it's definite, of course, to tell us that a Pasha discussing the life of Yaakov Avinu is a lesson to each and every one of us, for each and every generation. We said before, our parsha begins, Vayetze Yaakov Mibar Shava, Vayelech Chorona. Yaakov leaves Be'er Shava. And it's off to this town called Choron. And he works for 20 years, and he marries his wives, he sets up the Shvatim, and then he returns to Israel. Another thing, a difference between Yitzchak and Yaakov. Yitzchak never left Eretz Yisrael. Yitzchak was an Eila Tomid. And as a sacrifice, he was not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. The Zaya tells us, note the difference in Yaakov embarked on a journey, returned from his journey, how was he affected? Was he affected to the positive or to the negative? If to the positive, how much to the positive? And the opposite. Yaakov left to Haran. Tells us the Tera. The sun set, as we said before, and he lied down to sleep on this holy temple mount. Then, in a dream, in a dream, Vini Hashem needs of Allah. He sees the ladder, the angels going up and down, and Hashem needs of Allah. The Almighty standing above, above him tells us the tale of Ayif Gaba Mokim. In order for him to reach to God, he needed to pray for the revelation of God. But the revelation that he saw was only in a dream. Yaakov leaving Be'er Shava was fit to have a revelation from God. But Yaakov leaving from Be'er Shava 
was only fit to have this revelation in a dream. Let us go to the end of the Pasha. At the end of the Pasha, Vayif Gu'ubay Malachi Alekim. The Malachim, the angels, Wira Kadish Baruchu, Isaiah stresses, came out and met Yaakov. They looked for him. And this is while he was wide awake. Awake awoke, or whatever it was. Not in a dream. Now, do the math. A person that can only have a revelation in a dream, and a person that can have a revelation even when he's awake. Are they the same people? No. How did it take these years away, these 20 years? It elevated him to such a level, that to such an extreme. This very same body, that was only able to have a revelation from God in his sleep, now is having the revelation awake. We see therefore the importance, we see therefore the strength of going out to the world. Why did he go out to the world? What was his journey that he embarks on to bring godliness to the world? And Yaakov Vinu taught this lesson to his children. The shlichus that's put on each and every Jew, when we go out from Amokim Kedusha, even from the tents of Shem Ve'ever, the yeshiva, to Choron, a place where he needed to deal with, on a daily basis, the likes of Lovon Arami. The epitome of lowliness. Why? To elevate the sparks that were there. To apply himself to elevate the worldly lowliness that was found in this place. He sacrificed himself, sacrificed his comfort, sacrificed practically the sanctity of his area that he lived in, so that he could see to it that holiness was brought to a worldly place like this. Not a simple task. Far from it. But this doesn't matter. If your shlichus is in New Zealand, is in Geneva, or somewhere in Brooklyn, a person 
needs to know that they don't have to be a Chabad Chassid to be a Shliach. We are Shluchim Shalamokim. We are Shluchim of God. We are all Shluchim to make sure that we make the world a better place. A place worthy of living in. We sometimes can affect one soul. We sometimes can affect slightly a soul. Have an impression, make an impression on them. And we sometimes don't encounter anybody that we have any, make any change in their lives. When we apply ourselves unconditionally to love a fellow Jew and to embrace and to take them to a level that they were not at before, this is our shlichus in the world. To go from your Eretz itself, from your haven of holiness, and to go into the worldly world, the way Yaakov he was a Talmud, a Masmid. He sat and studied Tater. He just wanted to sap up, soak up all the Yiddishkeit, all the holiness and Kedusha. But he went out to the world. And he went to fulfill his Shlichas. And he didn't just say, I'll do a little thing and I'll go right there. He went full force totally de- enveloped in Tata, totally devoted to Tata. 14 years in Shem Ve'ever. And as he sets out, the first part of his journey is Vayiv Gabamokim. He stops to Daven. He's not saying, I'm good enough, I'm special enough, I'm great enough, I'm holy enough, and everything should go for me, and every, I should, all my merits are, are marching before me. He stops to Daven. And he asks for God's help. And he says, God, please, let me succeed in my shlichus. And then, only after praying, does he embark on his shlichus? It doesn't mean on the shlichus he didn't daven. He didn't sit and learn also. But he devoted himself to his shlichus. When a Jew behaves like this, then not only will he not be affected, Chas by the negativity of the world, not only will he not be affected mm-hmm. by the lowliness and coarseness of the world, crassness of the world, 
But he will see to it that he inspires everyone. And as he say, he was zeichet had slocha in Gashmias in Ruchnias, and then when he came back from his shlichus, he was zeichet. He merited that the revelation of God, as he was awake, a God in his whole pamalia looked for him to bless him. He didn't come back unscathed. He came back in such perfect condition. that the Malachim and HaKadosh Baruch himself came to look for him. We find that the Shvatim are born And Shvatamaborn and the mothers give the names. It's brought down a mother and a father have a certain nevuah when a child is born. And they give this name to the child. The Nevoah doesn't tell them what the Neshama's name was. Because the Neshama has no name. A Neshama can only have a name when it's paired with a body, with a goof. Although there are very lofty Neshamas, there are Neshamas that come from very, very high sources. And technically you would think that they have their own name. Zayah tells us now there's no name for a neshama itself it only can affiliate with a name once it enters into a goof they said now my husband will reside with me if I have born him six sons and she called him Zvulun Zvulun is a derivative of the word Zavul, a dwelling place. Saying now her husband will reside with her. Why? Because she has the majority of the children. Or as many as everybody else combined. Because they knew that she would, he would have 12 sons and she had 6. As we said before, the name is given through an avua to the parents. So Zvulun, the name Zvulun, signifies not only a milestone that Leah reached the sixth son, 
but also the nature of this specific child. So the arrival of Zvulun in Leah's life brought about a big change. And ultimately making her tent Yaakov's primary dwelling. But not because she had the half of the sons. But the dwelling was actually for his distinctive character. Yaakov Avinu was attached to the concept of Zvul. A place of primary, permanent residence. And therefore the life of the mother brought about a different take as well. Zvulun's association with places of residence, we know there was a, an arrangement between Zvulun and Yisacha. Smach Zvulun Zvulun was going out to work, to bring in Parnasa and support Yisacha as well, as Yisacha sat in the tent and learned. So the tribe of Zvulun ultimately immersed themselves in trade and commerce, which gave them a unique opportunity, as we said before, to go out to the world and to bring a light to the world and support Torah study. By using their physical means to cause spiritual pleasure to God, so that Yisachar could sit and learn. And they therefore were partners with the merits of the studies of Teda that Yisachar studied, in that they supported Yisachar. So Zvulun, that business person, that most develops this world into Zvul, a place that God can call home. We want to be able to call the world home, but the world is not home. The world is a, a station which we just pass by. Our main objective is to be connected with God. However, there is no comparison to the connection to God in Elam Haba, in the world to come, and the connection to God that we have in this world through mitzvahs and teda. What we can connect through teda and mitzvahs what we can connect through Siyata Deshmaya, what we can connect through dedication and devotion, whether it be to a fellow Jew, whether it be to the study of Teda, Mitzvah Maisies, Olimeda Teda, this can only be accomplished on this world. And therefore we say, the Ganadin has a, a sign that says, How great is it for the person that comes here 
with his Talmud in his hand, what he learned in his hand, with his Teda and Mitzvahs that he amasses in this world, he comes to Ganeidin, comes to Elam Haba. And by having this, the person is able to achieve and to rise up in the world to come. But he can only amass this in this world. It's no longer, it's not possible to amass it anywhere else. As we find a spiritual connection between two people, where their souls are connected, intertwined, one with the other, and the deep, deep love that they have for one another because of their souls intertwining, And then no matter how far apart they are from one another, they always feel each other in good times and the opposite. But not only they feel each other, but they also are able to support one another. They're able to give to one another, even with the physical distance between them. This is what the mission of the person is. The Meshach Katlarski, the Vice President of Merkis Lenyan Echinuch, who ultimately deals with the Shluchim throughout all over the world, got a phone call many, many years ago from Merkis, from the Rebbe's office, to come over, they need to, he needed to be seen. There was a message for him. He came, yeah, okay, Atlanta's upping me. He says, I'll, I'll see you, I'll see you one, and I'll, and I'll up one, okay. What do you think I was drinking, Drambui? Anyway, should maybe. He was called into the office and he was told to go to Curacao. Curacao is a beautiful little um, island off of Venezuela. Belongs to the Netherlands, actually. But it's right next to Venezuela. We would be able to go, we would, we, when we were in Venezuela for, back in 77, 78, 79, um, we had a Shabbaton or two in Curacao. There was a nice little Jewish community there. Why am I going to Curacao? From You'll get there, you'll know. The mission didn't ask any questions. Very devoted and dedicated to the Rebbe. And he picked himself up and he flew to Curacao. And he gets to the airport and he goes to the taxi and he says to the taxi, bring me to the Jewish community. The majority of the island speaks English as well. Papiamenta. No. The guy took him and he traveled and he brought him to a building, a small little building with a mug and David. Looked like a shul, but it didn't look like the main shul. Oh, it was a shul. 
So, he pays the taxi driver. And he gets out, and doesn't look like he's in the prominent Jewish neighborhood. All of a sudden, the door opens up, and this man, visibly crying, comes out, looks at Emesha, and says, Did the Lubavitcher Rebbe send you here? And Emesha looks at him, and he says, that was quick. And the guy jumps on top of him and is hugging him. He says, come, come. Takes him to his house. And he tells him about a chi- his child, Ellie, who had to go to school in the island and unfortunately there's no yeshiva there. And therefore, I know because I used to teach in Margarita, I used to teach the children there. Well, they also only had a Catholic school there. Anyway, the child was being persecuted as he got older. He was really suffering, Yiferlech. And now, finally, he couldn't take it anymore. And he handed in his books to the principal and said, I'm out. I'm out. Needless to say, the uh, school board came to visit him to the house. The child has to go to a school. He says, I was at a total loss. My mother was filming, he says, from the Holocaust. But we unfortunately lost it many years ago. And we live here, we're comfortable here and everything else, but I don't know what to do. Last night, my mother came to me in a dream, he says. And said, the Lubavitcher is going to send you a messenger. And he'll help you out. He says, I did not go to the shul yet, to Davin even. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe already heard my prayers. And I never heard of the Lubavitcher Rebbe until my mother came to me in a dream. And here you are. Misha arranged for the boy to go to Ganyasol, to the sleepaway camp. And today the child and the family are all living a beautiful from life which teaches us we have to go out as Yaakov went out embark on our mission and take it to the umpteenth level and we don't turn back and say eh, this is too much for me this is too little for me this is not for me we undertake what we need to do and see to do it benemonis with Siata Dishmaya, and with that merit will be Zeichet to all be Shluchim of the Eivishta, and we'll find the ultimate Shlichus, which will take us to Yerushalayim, Yerakadish, this very Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom to all. Amen.